four, three, two, one. Yeah, we here today. I'm your host, Mr. Johnny K. Here we go, and let's start the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. I'm your host, Johnny K. A few housekeeping items to get into. Before, at the top of the hour, we got breaking news at this moment in time. We got two things. One thing, the human turtle, Mitch McConnell, a senator, is retiring, reportedly retiring. I mean, every politician is pretty much like 100 years old. So he's retiring. Just wanted you to know that. And then also, in a twist, Bob Lee, who was stabbed to death recently in San Francisco, a fellow tech worker arrested for murder of Cash App founder Bob Lee. A fellow tech worker has been arrested in the murder of Cash App founder Bob Lee in San Francisco, according to multiple reports. Nima Momeni, the owner of a company called Expand IT, was detained early Thursday morning in the Bay Area. News outlet Mission Local reported Lee, 43, was stabbed fatally, was fatally stabbed in downtown San Francisco around 2 a.m. on April 4th. Supposedly, these two knew each other. They were riding together in a car when they got into a passionate argument. Police sources told Mission Local they said the killing was not a robbery or a random attack. Lee was stabbed either in the car or shortly after he stepped outside. Cops told Mission Local. I watched the video of him stumbling around, passing out, trying to get up, asking for help. The car driving away. Truly a terrible, terrible thing to watch. Very sad. He has two daughters. And let's take a moment of silence and give prayers to his family. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Very sad. Very sad video. Not going to play it here. You can go look it up yourself. Daily Mail reported it. Uh, just very sad. Very sad. You shouldn't be stabbed to death when you're 43 and you created the greatest invention of all time, Cash App. No, it's not the greatest. What do you, come on. Pretty cool, though. Used by a lot of people. Very successful. But just as a person, you don't deserve to be stabbed because... The only people that get stabbed seem to be involved in politics. That's why we're apolitical, and that's why we bring you the truth and nothing but the truth. So let's get started today. Topic du jour, the rise of Jamie Dimon. Who's Jamie Dimon? He is the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. Too big to fail. Taking your money on via loan, even though you think you deposit your money into the checking account, that's your money, but you didn't read the fine print. Because the fine print says when you give the money to the bank, they, it's their money and you loaned it to them and they could do whatever they want. Okay. So that is your fault for not reading the fine print. So we know Silicon Valley bank collapsed. We got signature operation choke point 2.0. You can go listen to that podcast. Did that a few podcast episodes ago. We got a banking system, uh, malfunction glitch in the matrix things are, or is it, is it a planned demolition of the economy or what? But let's get into who are these people that make it to the top? Is it based on merit or are there some powerful forces behind people who strategically place people in certain areas that are, that are to their benefit? So I, I recommend very few books, but every book I recommend is absolute gold. One I recommend by Whitney Webb is One Nation Under Blackmail. There's two volumes. It's now on Audible. One Nation Under Blackmail, volume one. It will talk to you. It will tell you how all of these powerful people are interconnected. It's unbelievable. And today we're going to focus on Jamie Dimon, perhaps the most powerful banker in the world, perhaps literally in the world. Um, so here's her article. If you're watching on unlimitedhangout.com, Whitney Webb, 
the rise of Jamie Dimon as J.P. Morgan's ties to Jeffrey Epstein are being scrutinized in court. Whitney Webb reveals how the same powerful players who brought Epstein to prominence were largely responsible for the rise of J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. So the people behind your boy, not my boy, but your boy, Jeffrey Epstein, the human child predator pedophile person, your boy, not mine, is what had powerful people behind him, right? To get blackmail on people, powerful politicians, the Clintons, all those people, so they can get this dirt on people so then they can control the strings. Well, those same people that love you and your, no, they hate you and your family, for whatever reason, very powerful people, deep intelligence ties, they're also behind Jamie Dimon. And you thought the bankers, you were tricked. You thought the bankers loved you more than they love life itself, but they don't. They're greedy. So here we go. Let me read a little bit, and then we're going to get into some videos. Earlier this month, a judge ruled that two different lawsuits against J.P. Morgan Chase over the bank's ties to deceased financier and pedophile Jeffrey Epstein would be allowed to advance in the U.S. courts. One of these cases brought against the bank by the U.S. Virgin Islands, also known as USVI, U.S. Virgin Islands, has been a particular focus of independent media since the new year began, in part because the attorney general of the USVI, Denise George, was fired from her post just days after she filed that case. Probably just a coincidence. Of course it's not. If you've learned anything on this podcast, there are no coincidences anymore, okay? We have proved that time and time again. Wake up. In a hearing in the USVI case against J.P. Morgan earlier this month, USVI lawyer argued that the CEO of J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, your favorite banker, quote, knew in 2008 that his billionaire client, Jeffrey Epstein, was a sex trafficker, close quote. The lawyer, Mimi Liu, Mimi Liu, what you going to do, uh, also stated that former J.P. Morgan, Jess Staley, also knew this about Epstein at the time, but noted, quote, this case was not just Jess Staley. There will be numerous documents that go far beyond his office to the executive suite, close quote. Liu also asserted that, St- quote, Staley knew, Diamond knew, J.P. Morgan Chase knew about Epstein's criminal activities against minors. While the bank has disputed that Diamond knew anything about Epstein's accounts at the bank or what he was really up to at the time, this invest this unlimited hangout investigation, a multi-part series, will reveal that Diamond's rise to the top post at J.P. Morgan was intimately linked to the very same people who enabled Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking activities as well as his extensive financial crimes. In this article and soon videos up, which I'm going to play, which is between Natalie Burnell on her coin story, coin stories podcast with Whitney Webb about this article. So we'll do some, but let me read a couple more paragraphs in this article or videos. We will examine how diamonds rise to become one of the most powerful men on wall street was largely reliant on top executives and directors of bank one, which boasts incredibly close ties to the limited's Leslie Wexner, who is the most powerful man in Ohio behind limited brands based in Columbus donates a lot to Ohio state uh, and his right-hand man for many decades, Columbus area real estate developer, John W. Kessler, Kessler and other individuals tied to Wexner were the dominant forces that saw diamond installed as bank one CEO in the year 2000 bank. One was then acquired by JP Morgan in 2003. And shortly thereafter, Jamie diamond became the CEO of the combined entity. 
That acquisition, as well as the role of the Crown family in Chicago in Diamond Selection as Bank One CEO, will be discussed in the second part of this series. Yet, Diamond's ties to the same networks as Wexner, particularly those characterized by their connections to organized crime and intelligence, preceded his time as Bank One CEO by many years. As this article will show, Diamond's construction of what is now Citigroup alongside his mentor, Sandy Well, began with their takeover a company called Commercial Credit Corporation. That company, as well as its parent company, Control Data Corporation, had a troubling history of ties to intelligence networks that were extensively involved in criminal activity, including the so-called, quote, private CIA, formed by CIA veteran Ted Shackley in the 1970s, as well as individuals crucial to the Epstein story like Robert Maxwell. Last paragraph. Given these connections, J.P. Morgan's claim that Diamond never knew what Jeffrey Epstein was up to during his time with the bank becomes much harder to believe. Furthermore, as future installments of this series will show, the players discussed here, Diamond and Epstein among them, were instrumental in the creation of what would manifest as the 2008 economic crisis, the Great Recession. Not unlike some of the events that sparked today's banking crisis, which is underway, Figures like Jeffrey Epstein, Diamond's mentor Sandy Well, and the former Treasury secretaries with close associations with both men, Robert Rubin and Larry Summers, appeared to have engaged in actions that would intentionally provoke the collapse of certain banks to further consolidate the banking sector, banking sector for their benefit. The goal, both then and now, seems to have been a move towards the logical conclusion of the quote, too big to fail banking model, the eventual creation of a centralized cartel of mega banks that dominate not only commercial banking, but also central banking. And then we're going to get into a brief history here. So this is phenomenal. This is called journalism. This is investigative journalism. The only people that are left telling the truth are independent media, creators, decentralized media from the people, by the people, of the people, the people, the people, the people. Never forget who brought you the truth. Never forget the people who lied to your face and shoved propaganda down your throat the last three years. And to even think you can trust them is beyond me. Thanks for joining me today on the Jonathan Cogan Show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And please subscribe to the Rumble channel before it's too late. What do I mean by that? We're going to have too many subscribers. And you will be left out if you don't subscribe. Okay, first part. First part, Jeffrey Epstein, Jamie Dimon connections. Again, this is Whitney Webb, who's also the author of the article on Natalie Brunel's podcast, Coin Stories. And here is part one. Take a listen. And then the second installment that's going to be out in another week or two uh, is that the same people who enabled Jeffrey Epstein uh, are the same people responsible for the rise of Jamie Dime, Diamond, particularly the reason why he's currently the CEO of J.P. Morgan. They're really the same, the same people, most definitely the same network. Um, so for people that don't know, uh, Jamie Diamond started off uh, basically being the apprentice of Stanford. Sandy Weil, um, and together they built what is now Citigroup, and uh, due to, a, I guess, a, allegedly sort of an ego spat between the two men with Diamond allegedly not liking living in, in Weil's shadow uh, for decades, uh, there was a split, and, and Diamond leaves, and then he's headhunted by a bank called Bank One uh, and becomes their CEO. 
in uh, the year 2000. And then a few years later, Bank One merges with J.P. Morgan Chase. And uh, he's, you know, Diamond, of course, is put in charge of the combined entity and becomes one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful banker on Wall Street. So um, essentially what I, I show in the piece is, um, you know, some interesting connections that really surprised me. Uh, first of all, uh, that the company that Weil and Diamond used to build Citigroup, a commercial credit corporation, um, I didn't realize that uh, that was the same company that I wrote about in my books until uh, <laughs> probably a few weeks ago, definitely after the books were out. And so that was very surprising to me because I note that both commercial credit corporation and its parent company, Control Data Corp., um, were basically espionage cutouts for this network involving people like Robert Maxwell, um, and uh, Samuel Pisar, who was Robert Maxwell's lawyer and confidant, one of his closest associates, apparently uh, the last person allegedly to speak to Robert Maxwell before he died, like, very close. Um, and he's also the stepfather and the person that essentially raised the current U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, um, yeah, having been, you know, essentially his father figure since the 1970s onwards. Wow. Um, and there's a lot of really crazy activities that both Control Data Corp and uh, CCC or uh, Commercial Credit Corporation were involved in, um, particularly involving, uh, for example, espionage of uh, the U.S. military, um, illicit tech transfers to the Soviet Union and what was apparently a deliberate undermine U.S. national security involving people with ties to um, Eastern European intelligence, Israeli intelligence and, and other outfits that were apparently um, interested in, in undermining um, U.S. Uh, military and also economic advantages um, for different reasons. And as I note in the piece, PSAR in the 1970s was pretty open about what these uh, the ambitions were um, of this particular group that was essentially these these companies I'm I'm talking about. And he said uh, he told Congress essentially uh, that private Western capital enterprises of note uh, were were merging and intermingling to a significant extent with communist run state enterprises, the goal of which was to produce a unified global economy, essentially a one world economy, um, and that this was uh, eliminating the need for a nation state. This is really crazy stuff to be telling Congress in the 70s. Um, it was very in your face, especially when you consider how things have played out over time and where we stand today. And he calls this, uh, PSAR called this the rise of the trans-ideological corporation. Um, and really, it's uh, essentially what uh, has been <laughs> running the world, I guess you could argue, since then, uh, since these capital networks um, you know, are essentially transnational and have very little if any, to any nation, you know, it's all about building a giant uh, global banking cartel or really, you know, corporate cartel, cartel like they, but obviously banks are here as well. I mean, just unbelievable. You would think this is like science fiction, but the, do you see the ties are to Anthony Blinken? who currently is running it. So basically the elites just cycle through their, their generations of family members and friends into, into, you know, these powerful positions, these banking cartels, they're all interconnected to one another. And it's a big party of elites and you weren't invited. You are not invited. My friends, the table is tilted and it ain't going in your direction. You understand? I think you do. If you're new, now you understand. All right. So 
Control the money, control the world. We've talked about this many times. We've talked about central bank digital currencies more times than I can count. We were way ahead of the curve, just like we were about every single thing that we've ever reported. Please go look at the history of episodes we've done. I mean, just the documented success rate of the Jonathan Cogan show. There's very few, if any, outlets that can even compete. And that's why I ask that you subscribe. I appreciate it. So, yeah. These elites, just all their friends, their family members, you know, the Rockefellers, you know, the good old Gates Foundation, um, the Rothschilds, they're all interconnected. They're trying to do a controlled demolition of the economy, usher in central bank digital currencies, full surveillance, full control of the peasants, and they will have control forever. Like, think about it. They still are are placing people in powerful positions like Anthony Blinken. He's the per- current person right now. They've been doing this for a hundred years, but their time has come and gone. The last three years has woken up so many peasants, you, me, us, everyone who's awake, and we will not accept tyranny. We will not accept control of a corporatocracy who has captured our institutions, captured the FDA, captured the CDC, captured our entire country with this dangerous notion that you should always trust the corporations, whether it's big pharma, big tech. Are you kidding me? They care about bottom line. They care about control. They care about getting their agenda across. They could care less about the peasants. They hate you, but I love you. And that's why we're in this together. Okay. They believe in one world government. We believe in one love, one love. Okay. So next clip here of this fantastic interview with Natalie Brunell with Whitney Webb. Uh, this one is about Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan Chase and Citigroup and that story. So take a listen. It's a bit interesting because the bank he was put in charge of that led to him being head of JP the position he holds today was him being selected to be CEO of Bank One. And this happened probably about a year and a half after he left Citigroup after his, uh, uh, after he had a, his falling out with Sandy Weil. So essentially what happened is in the same period, you have um, Bank One's uh, CEO since the mid-1980s, John B. McCoy, uh, being forced out uh, essentially by a man named James Shine Crown, uh, who had become a key part of one board of directors after first Chicago NBD merged with Bank One in 1995. And uh, before that, Bank One, as I note in the article, was very linked to Leslie Wexner and his associates. And actually, at the time of that merger, Leslie Wexner was on the board of Bank One. Uh, But after the merger, he ended up leaving. But one of his closest associates, uh, even closer actually to Wexner than Jeffrey Epstein, John W. Kessler, had been on the board before then, and he remained on the board. And he has openly acknowledged that he played a key role in selecting Diamond uh, for that position. So basically, you had this power play where the crowns and sort of their associates uh, uh, pushed McCoy to resign because there was this big rift in Bank One between the people from this first Chicago merger and then the legacy Bank One board of directors, or or the legacy Bank One directors. Um, And so in order to resolve this, I decided to select a new CEO. So after this process, the uh, Wexner-centric group of the legacy Bank One people, and then the Crown-centric group of the first Chicago NBD people decide on Jamie Dimon essentially. And so this is important because Leslie Wexner, as I've noted really extensively, not just in this article, but also in my book, um, has a lot of very disturbing connections, both to organized crime and intelligence that go way back to the 1980s. And actually the person that made Bank One what it was at this time, John B. McCoy's father, 
John G. McCoy gets kind of confusing because <laughs> before him, the bank was run by his, his father, John H. McCoy. Uh, but basically, this uh, uh, the father of the CEO that was forced out in 1999 uh, was a mentor to Leslie Wexner and to Kessler. Um, and under his watch, uh, Bank One became involved in money laundering for Iran-Contra arms sales, one of the top four banks utilized for that specific purpose. And actually, uh, three of those four top banks are JP Morgan Chase, um, and one of, and I think two of them were rolled into uh, uh, Valley National Bank, became part of uh, Bank One shortly thereafter. Um, so you essentially have, you know, the Wexner Organized Crime Intelligence Link Group picking diamond and the Crown family. And the Crown family is just as linked to organized crime and intelligence, if not more so than Wexner. I, the, the ties of this family and what they've been involved in throughout U.S. history is totally and a lot of people probably don't know the history, but this particular uh, family uh, was uh, their empire was uh, really began with Henry Crown, who was born Henry Krinsky. Um, and uh, Henry Crown basically, uh, with his brothers, created a company called Material Services Corporation that during World War II um, became one of the top contractors to the U.S. military. And part of this was due to an alliance between sort of this corrupt nexus between uh, uh, organized crime in Chicago, where the Crown, or where the Crown family is from, um, they had a lot of connections to organized crime and, and uh, the mob and the Democratic Party. And of course, uh, during World War II, it's the Roosevelt administration. So a close associate of Henry Crown's named Jake Avery um, connected, used his connections to get Material Service Corp. Uh, uh, to basically be the top contractor when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was in power. Of course, uh, at that time, you know, the Democratic Party in New York, where Roosevelt was from, also very dominated by organized crime connections. Um, and then after that, uh, in the 50s, you have their um, um, their closeness, I guess, with the U.S. Uh, military and the dawn of the military industrial complex uh, becomes even closer. And then in 1959, Services Corporation merges with General Dynamics, which today is still one of the biggest uh, UN's, U.S. weapons manufacturer in the country and um, been influential there really ever since uh, the 1959 merger. And you have a lot of intersections with uh, General Dynamics and organized crime and a lot of uh, scandals, bribery scandals, uh, price gouging scandals um, involving, you know, Material Services Corp and General Dynamics through the years. And this uh, continues after uh, Henry Crown passes, you know, the family business to his son, Lester Crown, uh, which is James Shrine Crown's father. Right. And Lester Crown is a longtime associate himself of Leslie Wexner. Uh, they share a lot of connections, uh, including to the state of Israel. And Lester Crown is also a part of this organization uh, that was founded by Wexner in 1991 with Charles Bronfman that some people refer to as the mega group. Other people refer to as uh, the study group, which is essentially this, uh, they claim to be a group of philanthropists. Really, it's um, a bunch of people with ties to uh, the same faction of the Jewish mob going way, way back. Uh, Wexner, Bronfman, uh, the Crowns, and as I note in the book, there's several others as well that have ties to essentially the Jewish side of what uh, Gus Russo wrote about in his book, Super Mob. Uh, and Super Mob is basically about this group of um Jewish and Italian uh, mobsters and businessmen who came together and basically merged uh, organized crime business interests uh, with political power and seemingly legitimate corporate interests and created this whole web of either outright illegal activity or gray area uh, 
quasi-illegal activity. And then it, this essentially starts in Chicago and then goes to really dominate other areas of the country, particularly Los Angeles. Uh, and you have a lot of ties, of course, to MCA, now Universal Studios, uh, people like Lou Wasserman and, uh, you know, affiliated with this particular super mob network. Um, and, and that's essentially uh, what the mega group ends up being. And again, that's that's Wexner and, and Charles Bronfman that create that. And Lester Crown is a is a founding member. And so you have, uh, you know, at that time, uh, the Crowns uh, and Wexner coming together uh, with the, this merger I mentioned earlier in 1995, creating a new bank one. And it's these very entities that are responsible for selecting Jamie Dimon as CEO. So essentially, the very same network that's responsible uh, for the rise of Jeffrey Epstein is responsible for the rise of Jamie Dimon and, and putting him in this exact position he he is in today and making him one of the top bankers in the United States. And so it's important to remember that just like Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Jamie Dimon is a man who you see how this works can you tell me can you give me one reason why 8 billion people are allowing like 12 families to run the world why 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 can't we band together brothers and sisters peasants and peasants alike and realize that we can take our world back Okay, Jamie Dimon does not care about the depositors. He doesn't care about your $1,000 in his bank. He cares about the people who put him there. He cares about the powerful elite who own him. He own, he is fully owned by the military industrial complex, by the mob, by the merger, which is Operation Underworld. Go learn about it. He is owned by the elites. Does not care about the peasants. It's not about your money. It's about ushering central bank digital currency on behalf of the elites and get full control for many generations to come. This is our one chance. We have opened up our one chance in generations to free ourselves from the elites. Like this is it. This is a moment in time that we can band together and say no and reject it and work outside the system, parallel systems, Bitcoin gold, silver, barter, whatever. We can finally escape the matrix for the first time ever. It is our choice what we want to do, but I got way more, I got many more clips to go into. All right. So what is it to these people? Do they, why don't they care? Because they think that it's all a big game. These people think your life is a game. This whole thing is a game. That's what, that's their words, not mine. Take a listen. Oh yeah, it's spelled differently also. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, so so as people are getting subpoenaed, uh I, I, a lot of people who when we've done our interviews before, they've asked, how come this black book is not out? How come the media is not focusing more on these connections uh that Epstein had because to very very Because the people very who are supposed to report on it are in the book. The media executives the politicians, they're in the book. They can't report on something that will get them in trouble legally. They can't report something that says that they had sex with minors. They can't do that. It's a bad look. They won't win re-election if you found out that there's videos of Joe Biden sleeping with, having a foursome with seven-year-olds. It's not going to work out well. They can't report on it. That's why. People that are still yeah. in office are still the head of corporations. Uh, but now... In the mainstream, it is coming out that potentially Jamie Dimon knew that Epstein was a sex trafficker. What is the exact 
evidence that that reveals that 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 may be true and why is VI that's going after it because you mentioned in your article I mean an, an attorney got fired right after this case was filed I believe right yeah mm-hmm. yeah Denise George was the attorney general of the USVI that filed this case and she was uh, and she was fired just so a lot of people you know connect uh, put two and two together and uh, you know assume they're related and they probably are um, and but they're still continuing to prosecute this case um, and it's not exactly clear why them I guess there's more uh, uh, interest there uh, and there were a lot of weird things that Epstein was doing in the U.S. Virgin uh, looking to recruit youths to work for him for example wanting to collect a bunch of DNA of U.S. Virgin Islanders and turn it into what he referred to as a biomedical Google so you know maybe there's different reasons we don't know about why they're very unhappy with Jeffrey Epstein's activities and they're uh, his presence uh, in their, you know, well, I would say country, the U.S. Virgin Islands is essentially a colony of the United States. Um, but uh, to be honest, a lot of the U.S. legal and justice system is not going to go after the people actually responsible for Jeffrey Epstein. So that's probably why it's coming from someplace like the USVI. It definitely would never come from a, a place like the Southern District um, or anything like that, because obviously, you know, in my opinion, the only reason they went after Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell was because of, um, you know, factional um, power plays between different powerful groups uh, among the U.S. elite. Uh, that wanted to use, uh, you know, take down Epstein for particular reasons. Um, and we can speculate why that might be later on. Um, but I think there's, um, you know, there definitely is a lot to prosecute here of people who are actually interested. But it, again, it's going after very powerful individuals. Um, in the United States and very powerful networks. So, you know, for example, this super mob network that I mentioned earlier that, that goes back decades and decades, um, that those, these particular networks, for example, the crowns in Chicago and another super mob family from Chicago intimate, intimately related to them. The Pritzkers are essentially responsible for people like Barack Obama. Uh, in the Clinton family, well, at least uh, some of the Clinton family, you know, obviously you have, you know, Arkansas with Jackson Stevens and, and similar uh, organized crime linked intelligence linked uh, billion and businessmen in their rise. But, you know, his unsuccessful presidential campaign, for example, uh, in the crowns uh, and these guys have a lot of influence over the Democratic Party specifically. Specifically, uh, actually, currently a Pritzker is governor of, of the state of Illinois. You know, these are very powerful people still today. And of course, Wexner is uh, the most powerful man in the state of Ohio. He has been for decades. Um, he uh, is widely believed to essentially control the most important political offices there. Um, and the uh, at least during his lifetime, the other richest man in Ohio that was a business partner of Wexner's, uh, Edward DeBartolo, was also a, a well-known organized crime associate. Um, so, you know, if it's true for Ohio and it's true for Illinois, it's probably true for a lot of other states in the U.S. And these networks are very interconnected. They're very insidious. So you start pulling on the thread of one and exposing one. It's going to bring stuff um, about how uh, the political system in the United States actually operates. And I think um, they don't want that to happen. <laughs> you know, I think so now um, I want to get into uh, CBDCs. And that seems to be where this is all going. And we've, I have many episodes on CBDCs. You can go listen to them. Um, how compounding solutions will, how compounding problems will force a solution. Um, this is a really interesting one. Take a listen. 
efforts to sort of kick the can down the road until the solution they want to offer people when this crisis really kicks off. Because as I'm sure your audience knows, a lot of, um, you know, what's coming is essentially inevitable just because of a debt-based monetary system and a lot of the insane monetary policy that followed the 2008 economic crisis. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that eventually, you know, and also, you know, the U.S. government debt. I mean, there's there's so many issues coming to a head um, for the U.S. economy right now. And then you have major challenges, for example, that are on uh, picking up with increasing speed uh, challenges to the petrodollar system status of the U.S. as a global reserve currency um, and, and things of that nature. So there's a lot of compounding problems. I would argue that there's going to be an effort to kick the can down the road until they can offer their quote unquote solution, which I think is pretty clear going to be some sort of precursor to the CBDC or the CBDC itself. Um, and I think they have uh, more infrastructure to put in place before they want that to happen. Um, so, you know, I think people should essentially consider, uh, you know, this crisis is very real. Now is the time to prepare because there is a lull, but it is a planned lull. And after. So, I mean, I've been telling you this. I, I do this podcast to warn you, to educate you, to share the plans of the powerful elite, which they, they tell you is misinformation, disinformation, ignore. Oh my God, he's a wacko, but we've been right about everything. Okay. You could just look at the data, look at the previous episodes. It's all in the pudding, as they say, whoever says that. So how are they going to usher this in? How are they going to usher it in? Well, I've said before that the way things have gone the last three years, they're going to say central bank digital currency because it's going to protect you against terrorism and evil crimes, all this stuff. So accept it. And the people who went along with everything the last three years, and if I say no to CBDCs, they're going to be like, what do you hate money? What do you, what do you hate the poor? What are you, what are you, a bigot? What are you, a racist? Like what's going to happen? Something like that is going to happen. They're going to be able to propagandize these people who've been propagandized for three years now, people who are still trapped by the lies of the regime. It won't stop until they have full control over you and they're getting close. So here's a prediction of how they're going to usher it in the world economic forum, cybercrime. I've covered a whole episode on their plan with cybercrime where they said, according to their study, 89% of executives, the world economic forum did this 89% of executives uh, expect a catastrophic cybercrime in the next two years. Well, you know, they're very good at predicting the future. They're fantastic at it because they cause the problem and then they usher in the solution also. So it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It'll be Russia's fault, obviously. Okay. But they're going to take down the banking system, the grid, the whole shebang. Not conspiracy. Not conspiracy. All right, here we go. One thing that's happening with this push against crypto, because, you know, crypto in large part, this is this is why this technology was um, why the cypherpunks were so passionate about separating money from the state so that the, the power would return to the end as opposed to these centralized entities. Yeah. And Jamie Dimon's come out there saying <laughs> he hates Bitcoin. You know, he was at Davos uh, on TV mentioning that. But they're going after the platforms, the on-ramps. Um, a lot of people were Stodia. And the main headlines focused on the fact that the Fed denied Custodia's application to be a member of the Federal Reserve because it was going to be a one-to-one a, a -one backed yeah. reserve bank. But, but actually, 
they wanted to release a stable coin, a private stable coin, and they don't yeah. want they don't want private stable coins. They want to control the digital dollar, right? But you you know what's weird though? The Federal Reserve had no problems approving uh, Farmington State Bank, the weird bank that Alameda Research and FTX poured millions of dollars into. Uh, that was previously a bank with like. Um, in, in, in insanely low number of, the of deposits in the middle of nowhere. SBF. I mean, it's like a one room bank in rural Washington, uh, yeah. with, with really no presence and then get, um, really rapid approval by the San Francisco Fed, um, to, to become, you know, a member bank. I mean, it's just really crazy. Yeah. Um, so apparently, you know, if you're tied up with the right people in crypto, um, you know, you can get approval from the Fed, but if you're not tied up with the right people, then you're not. Well, it seems, I mean, they, they are, they're worried about these on-ramps because they don't want trillions of dollars in uh, Twitter. Um, they have back doors into all of it. And actually it was a very suspect company called Varen Inc. that made all of those uh, back doors uh, into these platforms for the NSA. Um, so, you know, we've been mass surveilled on by our own government for mm -hmm. a very long time. And so I would argue that any efforts to sort of make TikTok the bad guys just because they don't like competition for surveilling on their own populace. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the U.S. national security state are the good guys, I would argue it's really um quite so that's the restrict act and i i think i talked about it a bit but the restrict act is uh, is a power play patriot act 2.0 to survey you on the internet use a vpn you're in jail for 20 years peasant okay we need to control your thought we need to control everything you consume because we're the surveillance state and we know better okay you can't discern truth from fiction so we need a disinformation board okay we need to use 1984 as a blueprint to how to run this country because the peasants cannot take the information they're too weak they're too soft and they can't handle it okay now pick a gender listen i don't care what gender you are it don't matter to me but they just want you to be caught up in the in things that are just a distraction they are going to there's going to be peak chaos i've been telling you more and more chaos economy's about to tumble things are going they're going to make things so bad for you that you will cry for a central bank digital currency you will beg for a central bank digital currency you will say please give me a central bank digital currency because otherwise you're not going to get food. All right. Go check out, check out, uh, if you go book a flight, do you see the CO2 emissions? You see your carbon footprint? They're already doing it with banks in Brazil, which by the way, the head of Brazil, Lula, the president of Brazil was just in Beijing yesterday or today talking about how he wants to see the end of the dollar, which is so interesting because this is the regime that was helped by the current administration of the United States with Biden. They really wanted this regime in there. And now this regime doesn't want to use U.S. dollars, wants to de-dollarize, wants it not to be a world reserve currency. Why would our regime in the United States want a foreign government to be against the U.S. dollar? It's almost like they're bringing the big powers down, just like with climate change, like we can't use emissions, but China can open up more coal plants and everyone else could pollute the world. But in the U.S., you must use electric. They're trying to bring down the richest and rise up a little bit of the poorer so we can be equals. Everyone is equally poor, own nothing, and everyone's happy. That's how it works. They need to bring us down. We're too wealthy. It's not good. Okay. It makes no sense that if for climate change, you don't want emissions, then you allow other countries to emit more. You can't just move the plants that are emitting in the same earth that we are polluting. Instead of polluting from the United States of America, they're, they're, they're polluting from China. It's still the same amount overall. 
doesn't make any sense. doesn't matter which way the wind blows. If you're polluting, you're polluting. But people are asleep at the wheel. Like, it's unbelievable, okay? Like, if I take a dump in Idaho, all right, and don't flush the toilet, or I go to Beijing and take a dump on the floor, well, my dump is still on Earth, okay? You understand what I mean? The dump is still on planet Earth. There is the same amount of odor, just a different location. You understand? It doesn't matter where you dump. It matters how you dump. I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter how you dump. But you understand, I take a dump over here, take a dump over there. There's the same amount of net dump on the earth. All right? Flush the toilet next time you go, okay? Trust me. It's worth it. But some people don't have indoor plumbing, okay? You have to understand, you got to bring the people who have plumbing down. Instead of bringing the poor people up so that everybody's wealthy using fossil fuel, whatever it is, bring everybody up. Make everybody wealthy. Make everybody better off. No, bring the rich down. Bring the rich down. Okay, we want everyone to own nothing, have no privacy, and they've never been happier. World Economic Forum 2016. It's in the making. Okay, and not only are people asleep at the wheel, we have people cheering this on. We have people so propagandized. The difference between people who watch the news in Russia is that when they turn on the news, they know that it's BS and propaganda. The people in the U.S. turn on the news and they think it's the news. They think it's real. They think it's the news. We are the most propagandized nation that doesn't know they're propagandized. And until everybody wakes up to that, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. That's just the truth. So point is people who are in powerful positions were put there by very powerful people who have been running this country and the world for a long period of time. I want to go through the article a little bit, make sure we've covered everything for today, and then I'll let you go. Um, it's a very good article, unlimitedhangout.com, Whitney Webb, very detailed. There's a whole series coming out. It describes all of it in detail, uh, who's associated with it. It's in her book as well. One, one nation under uh, blackmail. You would never believe all of these people are interconnected. Anybody who be, anybody who is obviously a shill in today's world, whatever the talking point is, like take the people's guns, like, you know, something like that. I'm not even a gun guy, but the reason you have the gun is to protect against tyranny. That's just what it is. And the people who are like, all right, take the guns. And everybody's on that. They are either blackmailed and they're very famous. They're blackmailed. There's dirt on them. You could just tell who the shills are. They're either paid by the administration or they have, there's like blackmail on them and they have to do as they're told. Okay. You can tell who's a shill. If one thing was turns out to be great the past few years, you could just divide society in half. People who are willing to speak the truth and be brave and love freedom and liberty and free market capitalism and other people who are shills for the regime because they did something wrong and there's blackmail on them or something and they have to continue whatever the talk, talking point is. Oh my God, you know, it'll stop the spread. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we never said that. Take the guns. Oh my God. Yes. Children can, uh, we should, uh, castrate all babies before they're born. Oh, but they're not really babies. You know, whatever the talking point, and I don't care what belief you're in. All I'm saying is it's obvious to tell who's a shill and who's not. And that is the best thing. That, that's one of the best things that came out of the last three years. It's obvious who you should listen to and who you shouldn't listen to. That's it. Okay, everybody, please subscribe to the John and the Kogan show wherever you get your podcasts. Rumble channel, YouTube channel, both are in the description of this podcast if you're listening. And if you can, please give it a five-star rating with a little, little shh little spiel of what you think of the pod five-star rating little spiel apple podcast spotify it helps more than you know it's the only thing i'll ask of you for now please give it a five-star review write something up i'll read it on the next episode 
as many five stars as we can get, and we can make this podcast go to the moon and back. Have we been to the moon? Probably not. But with this podcast, we will go to the moon, and it will be an apolitical journey with you, myself, our loved ones, our family, and we are going to bring everybody together. This is a movement of humanity, of peasants, of love, of freedom, free market capitalism, the people, of the people, by the people, for the people. Like I say, the people, the people, the people. It's time we join hands. It's time we come together. This is the pro-human, pro-peasant podcast, the Jonathan Kogan Show. Thank you for being here. Please subscribe. Please share with only one friend before the next episode, and I'll see you on the other side. I love you. I genuinely love you. And one piece of advice, give someone a text that you haven't texted in over two weeks that you care about and say, hey, just checking in. Hope everything's well. That's it. Do that. If it doesn't work, never listen to this podcast again. If it rekindles the relationship, fantastic. If it makes you feel better, fantastic. If it makes the other person feel better, fantastic. It's time we band together. Community, baby. I love you. Bye.